In this episode, Jim Buckle, CFO at Gusto, describes why a broad range of professional experiences is so powerful for finance leaders. Talks about Gusto's recent trailblazing transition into a B Corp and shares how his own experiences as COO and MD at previous companies have now shaped his approach as CFO. Hi, I'm Ross and this is the CFO Playbook, where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Hi Jim, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Pleasure, looking forward to it. So Jim, I'd love to start by uh, by understanding a little bit about your journey, uh, which has alternated between CFO and COO, so Chief Operating Officer for some incredible companies along the way. And it, what's interesting is you have gone back and forth between that. And of course, in your latest role as CFO at Gusto, uh, that's following a, a stint as a COO. So what was it that drew you back into that focused, dedicated role of, a, of Chief Financial Officer at Gusto? Yeah, and it's an interesting question. It's one I ask myself from time to time as when, when I've made that transition. I think for me, it's really about whether it's an interesting opportunity or not. And when the opportunity to join Gusto came along, it felt to me like, why wouldn't I want to do that job? Because when I looked at the company at the time, we were doing around 100 million of sales, growing very fast. I've always had a passion for consumer businesses. And if I looked at the landscape of potential opportunities in London, um, where I live, I couldn't really think of many businesses of that scale, growing that fast, doing something really exciting. Um, and on top of that, I really felt affinity for the, uh, I guess, the mission and purpose of the business in terms of really having an impact on people's lives and doing that in a sustainable way. So in all honesty, it didn't really matter to me what the role was. And the way I think about roles is if I can do something that's interesting, that adds value to the business I'm in, you know, that's really what matters. The, the role in a way is a little bit immaterial. And when you're at your level, it perhaps is less so about development and learning, but perhaps maybe earlier in your career, it is about that, about, about some type of professional growth. Does that come into um, your thinking as you're considering a, a different role um, or a new position? Yes, I think it does. I mean, interestingly, I think I probably am learning quite a bit in my new role. You know, I think as a team, you know, we're, I'm working with some really talented people. I think Timo, who's our CEO and founder, has a, you know, a huge ambition. And so, you know, he's constantly challenging me in a good way and, and making me, you know, and I think it's great to be relatively sort of towards the end of my career and, and still feeling I'm being challenged and, and learning. But yeah, if I look back, I think one of my reflections is that people, you know, particularly in your 20s, you can make very rapid progress in a finance career and therefore you can get to be like 30 and think you're super important and you know really experienced and sometimes making some different moves into different functions or different types of roles just kind of broaden out that experience and so uh, I've definitely seen that I think lots of people who go into finance maybe have this aspiration that actually to move out of finance at some point and go into general management and definitely that was my initial feeling when I first had a general management role and I think I learned after that actually that it wasn't it wasn't a progression that you had to be in finance and then when you moved in general management you never went back but actually going back into a CFO role as I did at Love Film into a, a bigger business at that time that I the one I'd been running previously 
Um, I got a different sort of learning. I then transitioned out of finance again in that company, and then I went back into a CFO role. So for me, it's just about different types of challenges. And, and as you say, you know, building that breadth of experience. And I think you can be a better CFO if you've been a general manager and, and vice versa. And you're you're certainly not the first guest to say that. There, there are some CFOs that even if it wasn't as a general manager, but like other alternate roles. So we had a, a guest recently speak about their stint doing sales operations and sales uh, compensation. And they said that understanding that like helped them understand the go-to-market business, sales and marketing at a much deeper level. And uh, But then, of course, the challenge sometimes is that it can feel like a sideward move rather than an upward move. Is, is that something that you'd faced in, in any of your moves where you've moved out of finance before coming back in again? In a way, not because I think the challenge has always been different. So, you know, I guess I went from being CFO at Wiggle back in 2000 and I lost 2014, which was a sort of 200 million turnover business to be chief operating officer of Fear Unique, which at the time was a a 30 or 40 million turnover business. And so you could go, yes, it was a backward step if you measure it in that respect, but actually the challenge of getting to know a new sector, having responsibility across a broad range of functions and some of the kind of operational decisions that we needed to to make, you know, they were all new experiences to me. So I think people sometimes measure progression in, in you know, relatively limited ways in terms of like job title or company size, where personally, I've always been motivated by, you know, what the interest is in the job and, you know, what the tasks are that need to be done and how I'll be sort of stimulated intellectually. And then with that in mind, then, how has your perspective as a CFO changed as you've had these experiences as a general manager? So you've in some ways seen the responsibility and the pressures on the people that need to grow the business directly and you're now the partner to them so how has your perspective changed through those experiences it changes in in a number of ways but i think importantly you have a better understanding of the roles that are being done by your colleagues so it's easy to be the kind of cfo who just kind of bangs the table and says we need to do better but if you haven't been in those roles where you you know you're actually responsible for delivering the sales target or you're responsible for delivering those efficiency improvements from an operational point of view you can be relatively unsympathetic and you know not really engaged properly with your colleagues in that respect so i think you know, i think it's just that un- depth of understanding that you get and i think on the other side of the fence having been when i was at love film i switched from being cfo into coo and then i became managing director of the business and for a period of time I convinced myself I didn't need to hire a CFO to kind of report into me because it's like, well, I think I can I can keep doing that piece of the business and just have my same direct reports and sort of add it into my responsibility. And then we'd actually were under Amazon ownership at the time. And, you know, they persuaded me that we should bring somebody in to, to fill that role. And it was a really good learning for me because I realized then actually why was I being so stupid and thinking I could do all of that? And and actually the, the sheer benefit of having somebody that, you know, can fill that role and then you can rely on to do that piece. So I guess I saw from the other side of the fence, the value of having a really strong, you know, senior finance person working for you. And therefore you can sort of then, I guess, reflect back the, the value you hope you're giving was as a CFO back to your CEO or MD. And that touches on the the relationship, one of the relationships that's arguably the most important for a finance leader, which is with the MD or the CEO of the business. You've been on the other side of the fence. So then how would you describe that relationship? What does that relationship mean to you? Because if if you've got that strong partnership at the heart of a business, it can often be the bedrock for, for a really high performing company. 
Yeah, I think it just has to be one that's really built on trust. I think the recruitment process is, is really important because I think you want to get to know on, on both sides of the fence that you, you feel comfortable working with somebody and you're going to be, be able to have a kind of open and transparent relationship. I think it's really important that, you know, you're not kind of feeling you're sort of on, you know, you're com- on, I don't think the right word for it, but, you know, it, it's not a, a relationship that where you're going to be hiding things away. You need, to, you need to be kind of super open and transparent in terms of the, the ways of working. You know, I might not tell Timo every single provision we have in the accounts just in case I want to, you know, make sure the results are always in, in good shape. But on the whole, you know, it needs to be really, really built on trust, that relationship. And then speaking about Timo and, of course, Gusto, you mentioned the incredible growth that you're going through. And one of the things that stood out for me, a recent announcement as a company, is that you've now become a, a B Corp, which is a, an, an incredible move. And and I, what I was really fascinated about is that when you look at, B, at being a, becoming a B Corp and what that means and, and the, the idea that you're more than just for profit, it's actually for all stakeholders that you could come across as a company. It's a very enlightened approach to, to building a company. And logically, morally, why wouldn't all companies do that? But of course, I think often it's the pressure of shareholders that maybe prevents them because they, in order to do that, you in some cases maybe need to dampen growth or you need to return less you know, capital to investors. Is that a debate that came up when you were considering becoming a B Corp? And if so, what was your role as a finance leader in that type of debate? Yeah, this, it's a really interesting question. I think it, it isn't a debate that came up in, in becoming a B Corp because I think the purpose of the business is very much ingrained in, in what we do. And actually, our business model in itself is a more sustainable model than the alternatives of, of going to the supermarket in terms of much lower food waste uh, efficiency in terms of packaging and then the supply chain and, and all that that goes with it. So, you know, at, at heart, we're a business that's built on a sustainable model. And I think on the back of that, we have a very kind of set of strong set of culture and values um, where, you know, we believe in pay, paying people like the fair wage, et cetera, et cetera. So I think yeah. most of that kind of, comes with what we're already doing. I think there are debates around some of the kind of finer points of then how how much do we build on that and how quickly do we build on that? So for example, you know, how much are we investing in you know sustainability going forward? We're just having a very active debate internally about, you know, where do we set our long-term goals and aspirations in terms of, you know, carbon neutral and that type of topic. And so thinking about how much do we invest in that year by year versus our profit progression and what's you know what's a sensible pace to go at that's the type of debate that we're having but in terms of the kind of long term aspiration you know there's no really no question around that because i think we see that as being really important uh, it's important to us as a business and as a leadership team but i think it's increasingly important to consumers so i think in the long term that there isn't really a debate around is it a good thing for all you know is it a good thing for shareholders because if you're doing something where where consumers will be aligned behind what you do then that ultimately is a positive thing it's just thinking in that right mindset but i think the pace of which you go and the level of investment you put behind it is is the areas where you can have some debate and do you think that that's the eventual depending on the timeline but the eventual direction of all companies that they should go to that more than just singular profit metric as a a way to measure the success i think it has to be in the long run because without that um you know we only have a finite pool of resources you know whether that's you know raw materials from a planetary point of view whether that's you know agriculture you know efficient use of food i mean 
the, when you you can read you know quite scary data around you know the the resources that go into producing like one kilogram of meat is like far greater than the kind of the calorie energy you get out at the end of it so you know food in particular you know is a business that needs to be you know much more sustainable but on the whole you know that as we've seen in the UK recently you know you have challenges around labor so we need to make sure we're paying people a fair wage to ensure that we're you know able to kind of i guess tap into that finite pool finite pool of uh, human resources so ultimately you know there's only a limited pool of, of resource that any company can tap into. And so if we don't do that in a sustainable way, we're not going to be around for the long term. And but then I guess that, as you said, the, the rubber hits the road per se when it comes to allocating resources and putting putting money behind a significant investment and then making the hard calls in each and every budget that you make or business plan you agree with investors. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we had a really interesting conversation um, at a meeting recently and we were talking about salary levels for for the people that work in our factory operations. And Timo made a comment, which he may have been making off the cuff, but he, he made some comment like, you know, I'd love to pay everybody two or three times what we pay them today. And, you know, that aspiration is certainly true, but we couldn't we couldn't afford to pay everybody two or three times what they earn today because we would suddenly, you know, go from being a profitable business to a loss-making one. But ultimately, if we can find ways to pay people more and for everyone to have a more rewarding role that they're doing, then you know, that's a great opportunity to, to have. So we need to keep our mind on, you know, doing the best we can, as we, as you said, for all stakeholders, but we just need to go on that journey at the, at the right pace. And how did that transition uh, go down with with your with investors and the and the investor community, and um, because of course that's that's the the piece that as a CFO that you would have to manage very carefully. Yeah, I mean, I think you know when I talk to existing investors or you know I talk to prospective investors, which we do from time to time, mm-hmm. you know I think they're pleased to see that we're you know pushing forward in that area because I think you know there's a growing awareness amongst the investment community that sustainability is important. You know for it's important for consumers, but it's also important for the investment community as a whole. So, you know, lots of lots of investment funds now have specialist ESG funds, et cetera, et cetera, where they're focused on investing in sustainable businesses. So actually they want to see businesses like ours that they can then, you know, their stakeholders want to encourage them to invest in sustainable businesses. So I think there's now starting to be like a very healthy kind of end-to-end demand from, you know, at a one level the investment community wanting to kind of push in the right direction and at the other end consumers wanting to push in that right direction and therefore companies hopefully can kind of ride both those waves to be doing the right thing and it may come to the point where if you don't have this then it's the you'll struggle to get the right levels of investment i think that's absolutely true yes i think that's i think in the long run that's more there's more risk attached to businesses i mean you only have to look at companies that uh you know are doing things that you could say aren't great for you know for people or for the planet you know whether you're in a tobacco company you know it's probably hard to find harder to find investment harder to kind of uh, you know get support for those businesses tobacco has no doubt declined as a consumer product in recent years and you know oil companies facing similar challenges so you know businesses that are seen as being you know harmful in the long run you know there may be there may be people that are willing to invest but that will become less and less over time yeah, I, I think so too. And, and then thinking about Gusto beyond that, this incredible growth that you've gone through, uh, of course, that often, um, the, the, the beautiful thing about that is it's an incredible challenge, an incredible adventure, but often it can stretch the company to breaking point and at some points inside because you're, you're 
whatever way operating model you have, whatever way you're set up, you're always outgrowing it. And we experience the same thing at Soldo. So you're almost having to reinvent yourself. And for a finance team, that's incredibly challenging because you're the linchpin of the company. So how have you and your team helped manage and steer that type of incredible growth? Yeah, well, I think it's not just within the finance team, but within the, within the business overall. I mean, as a leadership team, we probably spend at least half our time thinking about what's the optimum organization structure? Have we got the right level of management experience in the business? You know, building out those layers beneath the management team and making sure we have the right level of experience. And one of the ways in which we organize ourselves is that we divide the business up into, or divide part of the business up into what we call tribes, which essentially are cross-functional groups. So we look at what are the kind of key stages of the customer journey and the kind of key challenges that we have and then align teams around those so that we're kind of solving future problems. And so one of the challenges for, for me with the finance team is making sure that we align you know, our resource against that. And so within our core finance team, we split between those people who are doing that, those kind of foundational work around, you know, paying transactions, payroll, you know, producing management accounts, et cetera, et cetera. And then our commercial finance team, which are really helping the business make the right decisions, make the right investment trade-offs. And we're aligning those against those tribes and making sure that we're supporting those key decision processes. So then does one, if, if I'm in the finance team, do I have, uh, I, I'm part of either commercial or the, or the foundational team, and then do I have one tribe or could I have multiple tribes? Well, that's a very interesting question because we've just gone, we're just in the middle of a transition from having three tribes to seven. And I'd very, with, with my finance director, we'd you know nicely organised a structure where we created three teams aligned one against each tribe and now we're we're carefully working out how we uh, realign that so we've matched against seven so i think when you're in a business that's growing really fast as a business as a whole we're constantly thinking about how do we reshape ourselves to make sure that we're not slowing down and we can keep that kind of you know fleet of foot that you have as a startup you know we need to have when we're you know we're now over a thousand people in the organization we need to make sure that we can still move at the pace that a startup would move so we're constantly thinking how do we break problem break things down into kind of smaller groups and and, and solve problems and so yeah the challenge for for the finance team is to be similarly flexible and and one of the things that i've said to the that commercial finance team is don't get too hung up on what your role and job description is today you know you need to be thinking about you know, what you do today might be different in six months time because the business will be completely different. You know, there will be new challenges and new things to think about. So you, you, your role may adjust um, day by day. So presumably you're encouraging them to to have the growth mindset that people like Satya Nadella and often will talk about where it's more about what you're learning and, and the growth through that and progression rather than actually what you're supposed to do on the business card or job title. Yeah, no, absolutely. In actual fact, you know, personal growth is, is really important. And, you know, one of the things that we really encourage is that everyone in the business should have their own personal development plan, which is you know, separate from these are the goals that I got this week, this quarter, this year. You know, how am I personally going to you know grow and develop uh, during that time period? And what are the what are the actions that I will take to you know improve myself as a, as a finance person in the business? presumably then that affects the type of people that you hire in because not everybody has that mindset or not everybody's ready to you know forgo the the job title for for actually a much more fluid like situation is that the case yeah i think so i mean definitely we're looking you know when we're hiring people we're looking for people who are you know 
I guess going to thrive and thrive in a, in a fast changing environment and, and and one that's very demanding. I and mean, I think it's always a really interesting area, and I've seen this in, in previous roles as well, where people look into an organisation like Gusto and go, "That will be super exciting to work there. I really want you know." And they they maybe spend a long time in a, in a relatively slow moving business, and they kind of think, "Yeah, it will be really exciting to work at a company like that." Um, and for some people, that is exactly the case, and people, you know, immediately, you know, thrive and and they they get that excitement and and that energy. And you know, occasionally you get it wrong, and people thought they wanted that, but actually, when when they get there, they go, I didn't really want that much excitement. And uh, and sadly, you know, it doesn't it doesn't always work out when you hire people. But you know, as much as possible, we want to make sure that we're selecting people that will actually, you know, really work well in that in that culture. And obviously, Gusto is is a very unique company, and even the way that you're organising yourself sounds like very unconventional and forward forward thinking. But have you noticed a difference between, say, the type of team that you're trying to build, the type of finance team you're trying to build today, and what you would have done 10, 15 years ago when you were in your previous roles? It's an interesting question. I think definitely, you know, the pace of growth that we have does make it more challenging. Yeah, you know, it, it depends a little bit on the role, um, but I think definitely, you know, we're looking for people that you know are able to go on that journey and respond quickly to change. And I think above all else, it means that you don't want someone who's going to just come in and be content doing the role they're doing. They need to be in parallel thinking, how do I make this? How do I improve this role that I'm doing? And also, how how do I help improve the business? And I think you know one of the things that probably some of our some of our team have heard me say more often than they they want to hear me say is you know, people talk people often talk about finance supporting the business and you know i say you know fi- the role of finance is not to support the business the role of business, finance is to drive the business forward and and be part of be part of the business and what makes the business successful and i think going back in time people talked about finance being you know partnering the business and, and that sort of terminology but i think you rarely saw it in practice um you saw a sort of relative, relatively superficial engagement with the business in in days gone by and this is again a theme that's come up time and time again that this move towards deeper more authentic genuine partnering between finance teams in the business that but i've heard people speak about it in, in different terms one like you which is where finance as a partner should be driving the business and then others as a partner, it should have a service-orientated mindset um, where you're actually helping serve and support the business leaders, um, but, but again, in a partnering fashion. Do those two conflict or do you see them as complementary? I think they're complementary. I think for me, it's it's a state of mind in that what I don't want people to be doing is sort of sitting around waiting for someone to come along and say, yeah, I've I've had this idea. Could you now do this piece of analysis to you know tell me whether it makes sense or not? There's no limit on who who can have good ideas. And actually, if you're in a commercial finance role, you're perfectly placed in terms of your ability to understand the numbers, have access to data, to have great ideas yourself. And therefore, you know, if you would happen to notice that a particular metric is is going off track, I expect that finance person to be somebody who's you know going to talk to their business colleagues and, and and saying, I can see this isn't going the way it should be. You know, have we, why don't we do this? Or, you know, here's some, here's, here's some suggestions of things that we could do differently. And here's, I've worked through the numbers and I think this, this will be what, what we might consider. 
so you're on the front foot and you're you know taking advantage of your position to to drive those things forward it doesn't it doesn't mean that the the, the initial situation can also arise where your business colleague comes to you with something but it's it's about a two-way process not just sort of sitting there passively waiting for someone to come and ask you to do some work and then thinking about the way that you've set up your team so presumably like again we're we're coming out the back end of of a pandemic fingers crossed but many teams are more remote or more hybrid than they've ever been and of course that can be a challenge for all teams but can be particularly challenging for a team that is trying to work around very tight deadlines uh, and mission critical activities like finance teams how have you managed that type of environment uh, you know as a as a CFO in that context yeah i think it's worked surprisingly well, I think, in many respects. I think different people respond in different ways to the different environment. And I think if you have people who are more extrovert in nature and they sort of thrive on that human contact and they, you know, they maybe do their thought process through conversation rather than kind of going away and thinking about it individually, you know, I think you need to be cognizant of that and, and kind of allow for that in, in how you interact with people. And, you know, I've certainly tried to create you know even the periods where offices were definitely closed you know I regularly met or not regularly maybe over, overstatement but I was certainly meeting from time to time my direct reports for walks in Richmond Park or, or wherever um, so we could have that face time and that human interaction because I think however much you try to do that you know through a Google Hangout it isn't the same so I think trying to keep that regular interaction is important creating the kind of space in the in the day so for example i know our financial control team you know i don't i'm not sure they still do it but they were certainly you know every morning they would have a half hour kind of general chat you know and they were sort of effectively replicating that that you know when you're working in an office there's that period when everyone gets into their desk they haven't quite got to work they're having a chat about what they did last night they're making a coffee so they sort of replicated that through google hangout where they just sort of had a bit of random chat every morning and talked about what they were going to do that day um, so I think it's about trying to just create some structure. And you know, one of the things that we did at Gusto was we created, um, in a way, it's, we created a lunch break. It sounds like we created something really light and far, far forward thinking. But we realized that when you're working from home, that the day can become very intense. And we were finding that people were in back-to-back meetings the whole time. And therefore, you know, it became very stressful. So we've actually created a slot between 12 and 1 where we try to avoid meetings for anybody across the business and that just gives you that breathing space to have some lunch go for a walk or whatever it is and know that someone's not going to try and you know you plonk something in your diary at that time and you know i personally find that you know really helpful um just to know that i have that breathing space you know and occasionally something pops into there but that's certainly really really helpful thing to do it's the exception rather than the rule. But I could imagine myself if I was trying to get a meeting with you, I'd be like, okay, Jim's diaries back to back. I know he's got a slot in the middle of the day. So <laughs> it, it, let's let's put it in there. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that definitely does happen, but uh, <laughs> we, we try to avoid it. And the other thing that, of course, the, the, the pandemic has led to is a rapid increase in the use of technology. And one of the, the themes that we'd love to explore is the increasing use of technology and the digitization of payments and, 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 fi- and tools for finance. Is that something that you and your team have, have embraced and are investing in? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily something that we've done because of COVID, but I think it's probably something we've done as part of the journey from being you know, a very small company just a few years ago um, so you know, if I look back to say 2016 when 
And certainly one of one of my direct reports you know, joined literally five years ago next week. Um, and I think we were doing 15 million of turnover uh, in that year. And you know, we pretty much doubled every year since then. So back then, the finance function was, you know, a handful of people. Um, you didn't really need any systems or processes that went with that. As you mature to being a sort of th- two, three, four hundred million turnover business, you know, you have to have those processes. So and because we've grown so rapidly, it often feels like you're, you know, catching up half the time. So, yeah, it's, it's not really COVID driven. Um, but, you know, I guess as an example, we're just in the process of putting in place a planning and reporting tool that enables us to kind of come away from using Google Sheets uh, to run the business, which is always a slightly fraught way to do things. So that's something we're, we're literally in the middle of, of putting live right now. And that will take a lot of pressure off people in terms of monthly reporting, particularly iterations of forecasts. And, you know, certainly one of the things that COVID did for us last year um, and, and even through into this year was a very increased frequency of forecasting because it was very hard to predict customer demand. And so um, constantly iterating how the future looks and what that means in terms of, you know, growing the size of the team or, you know, what we'll mean in terms of, you know, customer demand, et cetera. So that's definitely a, a huge benefit. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, probably we're behind the curve on these things, but implementing a much more automated accounts payable process where an invoice comes in, we can automatically scan it. If it matches what we already have in the system, then that can flow through, you know, without any real human human intervention. So speeding up that process, again, means that we can grow the business without having to, you know, just keep adding more and more accounts payable people uh, into the team and they can, and they can spend their time doing something a bit more value added than simply keying in invoices. So, yeah, I think it's it's a function of maturing as a business and making sure that also we keep people's jobs more interesting and meaningful. So the more we can add automation, the more it makes it interesting roles for people. And that's the, the fascinating point as well is because there are so many different categories and technologies and services that are coming up and being offered to finance in a way that um, sales had 10, 15 years ago, marketing 20 years ago, and, and, and I guess R&D teams or engineering teams have had it for even longer. But that means that with all those opportunities, you're probably being faced with so many requests or place avenues you could go down. And uh, as always, you have to prioritize. So how do you think about then prioritizing where you and your team focus on? So you mentioned a couple there, the FP&A tool and then accounts payable. But what is it that allows you to say, okay, we're going to go after this problem or this category rather than another? Because I'm sure there's a myriad out there. Yeah, I think it's for us. I've seen this not just in finance, but in in other roles that I've done. I try, I I tend to ignore all kind of sales pitches. (laughs) Um, You know, you you could spend your whole life responding to emails or phone calls about a particular product that someone says will transform your finance function. So I start from the position of I just ignore all of those because you really have to start from what are your own pain points and try and solve those um, and then go and find the best solution for it. If you're constantly reacting to that, you know, so in my in our legal team, we got to the point again where we needed a, a better process for, you know, just managing the contract flow and then just the kind of storage of the contracts and be able to kind of refer back to them. So we implemented the contract management system last year, you know, which is really helping us to do that because we've identified that as a concern and, you know, we went away and looked at different products and, and found that. We've also just recently implemented a tool to manage board meetings. Again, you know, we were kind of looking to professionalize the whole interaction with the board, 
and way from sending out board papers by email with passwords and things like that. So again, creating a platform where you know all the board papers can be shared, you know, regularly, and then you can refer back to them, you know, in the future. Again, an area where we identified that we needed to do something, and then we looked at the different products on the market and, and made that assessment. So I think provided you don't get yourself distracted by salespeople, not you know, salespeople are great, but they, you can use up a lot of time if you, if you just really focus on what your own challenges are and, and try and solve those rather than the, have someone try and you know I get I feel like I get two or three calls a week from people offering me foreign currency advice and although we do buy a lot of product from overseas actually you know it's not really a problem area for us right now and therefore you know I immediately end those calls and it, one of the, I mean one of the, this is just a personal gripe I'm going on now but one of the things that I find really interesting is that salespeople <laughs> don't often research your business at all before they you know give you, you know, I get I get people <laughs> who are selling me something to do with like international currency management or international payment taking payments internationally and I, I reply back going you might not have noticed that we're a UK business and that, that sort of thing I find extraordinary and I did enjoy that on your, on your LinkedIn you even said that like, I do not respond to unsolicited, unsolicited sales <laughs> messages uh, yeah. and presumably that doesn't work at all that you still get unsolicited sales I still messages get them, absolutely yeah <laughs> at least you're setting expectations that when they get no response you were clear absolutely yeah yeah and the other point I talking about automation and technology and this is something that we've seen other um, finance leaders allude to is that because of the increasing technology that that you're using in some ways it also has impacts on the skills that you need in your team or at least the where the t- your team spend their time because th- those tools that you mentioned that you're putting in place that's a huge investment of it, time and energy uh, and you're doing so for a, a clear pay up, payback typically time saved but again does it the introduction or the increasing use of automation technology shift some of the skills and the, and the capabilities that you need directly within the finance team yeah, I, I guess it, it creates two challenges. One is you need people that can implement those tools for you. And so, you know, we have a, you know, with it, we have a number of finance systems people within the team. And that's actually an area that we're looking to grow and invest more in um, over the next year or so. So you need that focus. And actually, one of the roles we don't have in our team right now is someone that's focused purely on kind of process improvement. But it's something that I've been thinking about. But we we currently have somebody in our team that's focused looking at our in, our internal controls and sort of making sure that we're keeping you know the, that we're keeping pace with the growth of the business and we we have the right control processes in place and I think from there we need to expand that into someone that's more dedicated looking at you know ongoing process improvement um, because as the business scales and the complexity grows we need to make sure we we keep pace with that so I think definitely that investment in systems expertise and, and process improvement expertise is important and then on the other side of the fence, um, if you can achieve that greater automation, then yeah, clearly you need a smaller proportion of people who spend their days, you know, processing data or moving spreadsheets around, and, and people more focused on understanding what that data is and interpreting it and making the right decisions on the back of it, or helping other people make right decisions. So, you'd like to think that most people would prefer that type of role, but I think finding people that can do that well. Is challenging and it's also it's very hard to recruit people and so one you know one of the things that we're particularly for more senior roles you know we often do case studies for candidates because if you're recruiting someone to to work in accounts payable 
if they have had previous experience in that, then there's a reasonably good likelihood that they'll know they, they can say, you know, I did this role in company X and you'd be reasonably confident they can do that role in your company. If someone comes and tells you, you know, they were a financial analyst, you know, helping with a marketing, working alongside a marketing function and they improved customer conversion because they did X, Y, and Z, you don't really know whether they actually did that work or not. And so a case study is a great opportunity for people to be given a situation and have to talk about what they would do and, and reach some conclusions. And it really helps test those capabilities in a real life situation or semi-real life situation. And I think what's interesting as well is that you're testing for a combination of logical reasoning and creativity and, and getting those together in one person with, of course, the right cultural fit. It's, it's a tough job. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we invest a lot of time, you know, as a business in, in hiring people because, you know, actually when, when you're growing the rate that we are, and I think we doubled our headcount last year um, and we'll probably do the, a similar amount this year, actually the, the time that we can invest in, in bringing on board the best people because you know, ultimately, you know, I have a team of, I don't know, 30 or 40 people. So how effective the finance function is isn't really down to me as an individual. It's down to the team that we build and the team that MIDA reports build underneath them. So that's really the most important way in which you can spend your time. And Jim, as we uh, draw the episode to a close, uh, I, I often love to ask guests about advice, the, what advice they would give for others, uh, to others, because of course you've uh, been in the in the trenches for many decades now as a, as a finance leader and, and of course CEO. So for any aspiring CFOs out there, what advice would you give for them so that they would be ready and, and, and could be successful in the role? I think... There's lots of things we could do around building up skills, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, you know, for me, the first thing I would always say to anybody, not just in finance, but in leadership roles generally is, you know, to be themselves. I think when you start out in your career, you can have a perception of what leadership is. And, you know, you can see certain, you can, you see certain people in leadership roles and you can kind of maybe form an impression of that's the way you have to do something. And for me, I think it's really important to understand, you know, who you are and what your personality is and, and what works for you and then mold your leadership style around that um so you know clearly you can improve you, you, you can't don't just say well you know I, I behave in this way so i'm only i'm only going to behave this way you clearly you can always improve but i think you know, if if you're an introvert for example and you you work best in certain types of scenarios with with how you deal with people then you know use that and, and build on that way of working um but also be mindful of the personalities of the teams that you work with and, and trying to be flexible around that. So I think always try and be yourself because if, if you don't, I think it causes, you know, it can cause a lot of stress and it's not very really sustainable in the long term. And I think the second thing would be, we touched on it early on, which is, you know, a working career is a very long time. I've been working for, you know, 30 something years. I've done a lot of different roles, you know, in that time period. And I see people get very hung up on, what am I going to be doing next year? Or I need this, I, you know, it's really important to me that I now have this new job title or I need this extra bit of salary right now because I'm, my career isn't moving you know, forward fast enough. Whereas actually, you know, you, you need to kind of build a career over time and ultimately do things that you find enjoyable and rewarding and, and not get too hung up on the precise status and, and everything else. Because um, I think... You know, if you build a broad base of experience um, and be willing to take a sideways move you know, at some point, um, ultimately you'll become a better person in the long run and, and a better fit for a CFO role. And I think 
you know, one of the challenges I think for people going on that journey to becoming a CFO is that people may come up a certain route. So you might have come up with like a through a financial control route and therefore you'd be very good on that side of things. Um, but you haven't really done the kind of commercial finance piece that we talked about earlier. Or you might have come up through that side, but you don't really know anything about financial control. And, and I've often sort of coached people, you know, who've reached that point where I've got a whole lot of experience here, but how do I get that other experience? And so I think taking the time early in your career to to maybe, you know, jump from one role to another. Um, I had a, I kind of had a really interesting conversation with a colleague of mine, you know, a few weeks ago where I'd been discussed, I'd had this very discussion with her about, you know, be willing to look at different opportunities, be willing to make sideways moves. Um, and then an opportunity came up internally where she put herself forward for a move slightly out of finance um, to work closely with our marketing team. And when we caught up while she was still thinking about it, I said, so tell me, tell me what made you want to do this role? And, you know, are you comfortable with like moving out of finance? And, um, you know, it, it's potentially a risky thing from your career progression point of view. And she said, well, I took on board what you said to me and, <laughs> and I thought I can't really argue with that because uh, I'd given her a piece of advice and she'd acted on it. And then that, there was me questioning whether she'd made the right decision. So, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you kind of need your own own advice played back to you. But I think, you know, it it was a good, good decision by her to kind of make that move, get some broader experience and, you know, potentially move back into finance at a later date. So definitely being open to the opportunities that come along, I think is really important. And I think that's great advice. Um, Jim, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast today. If um, if any of our listeners are uh, would like to follow you or follow what you do online, where's the best place for them to do that? I think if they're interested in business-related things, I do occasionally post or share things on LinkedIn. Um, I wouldn't follow me on Twitter because you'll mainly get my interest in Grimsby Town Football Club, which is a bit of a niche interest. Um, but uh, for those that are interested in non-league football, that would be the place to follow me. Uh, yeah, and running as well. I, I see like from Twitter, like you seem to be an avid runner. That's true. That Oh, I, yeah, I, I try to anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I share that uh, that uh, passion to be an amateur runner at best. Uh, many, many, I've spent many Sunday afternoons running around Richmond Park. Yeah, well, I'll bet I may end up bumping into you there. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to my 55th birthday later this year when I enter a new age category and I will be re- reborn as a 55 to 59 year old veteran. Uh, but there's a, there's a, a new dawn will break then for your record breaking attempts. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good thing about running. Every five years, a new opportunity comes along <laughs> when, you, when you get to a new age category. Um, Jim, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good to talk to you. Good to talk. One last thing. If you have a question you'd love to ask a guest, visit cfoplaybook.fm and submit your question there. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.